0: Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You know, some of you are divorced, going through a divorce, wondering if you should file for divorce. So I, I do want to talk specifically about Marriage today, but look at how this can apply to you, whether it be in your relationship with your friends or your kids or your parents. And it's not, you know, there 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 should be no guilt and condemnation. Did you know that God is divorced? Did you know that God divorced the ten northern tribes of Israel? He enacted a divorce himself, a covenant that he bound himself to. So you're not going to hell if you get a divorce. I just want you to know that. Some people, you know, I've I've sat in counseling situations with people. I'm not for divorce. I think God joins you together, and at all costs, it can be worked out. But if it doesn't, don't think that now it's too late for you. So many people have, have been made to sit down and, you're disqualified now from either ministry or even heaven. <clears throat> I can think of a, of a couple that, uh, you know, There's this uh, someone chose to stay in an abusive relationship because they were afraid they were going to go to hell if they got a divorce. And, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to say that people's beliefs are silly, but that one's a little silly <laughs> because that's not what Scripture says. There's a new covenant that delivers us from that. But it's not pro-divorce. I want to talk today a little bit about just the idea of marriage, what marriage actually is, what this union is. And it's really best understood in the context of the kind of relationship that we have with God. I mean, in Isaiah, God declares himself as our husband. That's the kind of relationship that God decides that he has with us, is he's our husband. You know, we're we're made one with Christ as we're made one with our spouses. So let's flip over to Ephesians 5, and I just want to read through and, and put some context to, you know, what's being taught here, what, what um, Paul is saying about what happens in a marriage. <clears throat> he starts off talking about just how to treat people. You know, don't be sarcastic, don't be rude, live in such a way that your communication is... Loving toward one another. But when you, then he gets down into marriage, and we'll go over that in a second, but I kind of want to just look at the historical account of what a relationship looks like. You know, we know the story God creates Adam and Eve in the garden, and he joins them together. And in fact, when Adam wakes up and he sees Eve, his first response is, it's, it's, Actually, here in Genesis 2, Genesis 2, 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Then he said, this is, the man said, this is is Adam's response. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of me. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. But the response that he gives is, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What he's saying is, we're the same. She's like me. And you understand that in light of Christ. When Christ brings us into his kingdom through us receiving him by faith and makes us righteous, it says, as he is, so are we in this world. It's like the same response that Adam had when he looked at his wife. Christ looks at us and says, They're part of me now. They're one with me now. They're just like me. I have been made one with this person. And I love them deeply. We have to understand marriage in the context of the kind of relationship that we have with Christ. Christ is so excited to look at you and claim you as his bride. To look at you and say, we're one. I value this person. This person is so part of me that there's no difference in how God sees them in me. So we translate that to marriage. And interestingly, you look at how it was set up in the garden. Adam and Eve were equals. It doesn't say ever that woman, Eve, was to be under man until the curse was stated. A little bit of a brain twister, you know? It's like, so the view that females are subservient to males is part of the curse. God gives us the institution of marriage so that we can understand how we're one with Christ. Now there's benefits as well. I mean, we desire relationship and and everything that comes with that, but it's also intertwined. When we look at marriage, it should help us understand who we are in Christ. So it's part of the curse for woman to be submitted to man. Now, are you under the curse? No. No. You ever had, don't raise your hand. I'm not going to look at anybody here when I say this, but (laughs) yeah. You ever had the husband or heard you've said this? If she would just submit, then it would all work out. Yeah, right. That's not even the way it's supposed to be. Let's look at Ephesians 5. <clears throat> now, like, like Mike said, Paul, you know, was a master of teaching about marriage because he understood the union that we have with Christ, if you don't understand this union that we have in Christ, then we get skewed views of what we think marriage is. Especially if you're in a particular type of denomination and it's viewed that women are lesser than. If God never intended women to be lesser than men. That, that's ridiculous. Woman was like the crown jewel of creation. Isha is the expression of what God had done through man. And it's like it all encapsulates in her. All of creation looks at Eve and it's like, man, God is good. (laughs) It was never a subservient thing. Only as part of the curse, because of the distraction of sin, God instituted a way for them to work together in a particular teamwork like we have in the church we have apostles prophets pastors evangelists teachers whatever those none of those are above each other and they're not anointings i don't have an apostolic anointing that you need to submit to christ is your anointing i may be an apostle a pastor in this place and i'm serving you from that position but you're no less than me right i may be in a position of leadership it's the same way with marriage. The husband has been put in that position of leadership and to be you know, in that place, but it's not from a perspective of superiority where the female is subservient. Is that good news? And all the women said amen. amen. I mean, there's been some weird stuff taught about this. But let's look at Ephesians 5. We're going to start in 21. Somehow, usually, when we talk about marriage, we start in verse 22. But look at what verse 21 says. All of what he's about to describe in light of marriage should be put in this context. It starts off with this. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wait a minute. I thought the woman was supposed to submit to the man. It starts with this. Submit to one another. It's mutual submission, mutual love, mutual respect. Then you understand from verse 22 on, he's not describing doctrine in woman's position. He's describing what this mutual submission looks like expressed. And he, so he defines it for the man and the woman. You get that? Mutual submission. So verse 22. This is what it looks like when two are mutually submitted to each other. Wives, this is how you submit. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, he's about to describe something, but it's not to establish a doctrine of superiority or even authority as much as it is this is how this relationship should function. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church his body of which is he is the savior now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything we submit to Christ out of love why because he first loved us we love him because he first loved us he grace always acts first love acts first Christ decided that he wanted us to be one with him even from the foundation of the world. I mean, he couldn't wait to get into this earth so that he could enact the new covenant and have a way to have us with him and not just near him as it used to be in the tabernacle when God would be near them. So, verse 25 this is what it looks like in mutual submission. Husbands love your wives. The way you submit to your wife is you love your wife. And I, you know, I just, I just kind of stopped and thought about that phrase: "Husbands love your wives." I think there's a bunch of husbands that knew (laughs) I was going to be preaching on this today, and they decided to (laughs) ditch or something. But just, I mean, just that phrase: "Husbands love your wives." You think about how, I mean, what, what do you think Christ thinks when he looks at us? Hopefully it's good thoughts. <laughs> I mean, some of us are still skewed in our thinking about who we think God is and how he sees us. But I'm, I'm telling you, God loves you. He absolutely adores you. He risked everything to have you in his family. He so desired that you would not perish and be separated from him eternally that he risked everything to have you in his life and in his family. And that's the type of love that he's talking about. Is this the kind of love that we're showing our spouses? You know, sometimes, sometimes not. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So you think about that. Love your wives, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, what did Christ do for the church? Died for it. Gave up everything. I mean, everything about Christ was geared toward this is my jewel. Like the, like the parable, the pearl in the field. It was, that's not about what we're supposed to do with the kingdom. That's God. He found the jewel lost in the field. We're the pearl. He went and sold everything he had to gain this property. That's Jesus going and getting that field so that he could have that pearl within it. Jesus died for the world, removed the sin of the world to have you. You're the pearl. Is your spouse your pearl, mutually? You know, what else did Christ say? So Christ, we're, husbands love your wives, Christ love the church. Christ shares his authority. <coughs> Wait a minute, I thought the female was supposed to be under the husband. But Christ shares his authority. Christ has made us joint heirs with him. Everything that Christ inherited, he's been given, he gave to us. He shares it with us. It's not about, hey, you need to get in line, woman. It's, no, we have shared authority. Yes, we've been put in a place, like he's about to say, where... The head, the husband is the head of the household, the head of the wife, but it's not from a subservient, submissive position. It's just the way God has set this institution in this world through mutual expression. Do you see that? I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of... I hate that it's new for some people, but, uh, you know, religion just really likes to mess lots of things up, especially... You I mean, you, dang, you dangle the carrot of having a little bit of authority in religion, man, boom, people jump all over. People love to be in charge. And if I can be in charge of this person their whole life, man, that sounds good to me. You know, that's religion. That stinks. She said that stinks. But well, it sounded like she did. Oh, you stole my thunders. I thought she was... I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the Christ shares his authority. Christ is the head, but he shares his authority with us. He gave us the keys to the kingdom. Christ doesn't make us have a separate bank account. Uh-oh. Verse 27. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without strain... Stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Now, if you've got separate bank accounts, I'm not, don't take that the wrong way. I'm just, you know. Christ doesn't withhold anything from us. So without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Again, remember the context is relationship, not authority. Uh, in this same way, husbands also... Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I mean, there's such a unity there. There's such a oneness there that I, should, I don't have the right to make a decision that's best for me that is not also best for my spouse. If I feel like I need to put her down, I'm putting myself down. I mean, if the husband feels like you need to put your wife in her place... It's because you don't know your place. It, would you talk to yourself that way? I mean, do, do, do we really see this person as, this is my, this is my teammate. Whether it, whether it be children or friends or whatever for you, but in marriage, this is, this is, this is me. This is a person that has been joined to me. It, it's like the other half of me working together in this earth. What can I do to nourish and cherish this person that's been joined to me so that it's all healthy and it's mutual mutual love and respect? It's not, well, if she does right, then I'll change. I'll change, but she's got to do it first. Or once he does this, then I'll start sleeping with him again. I would say it got quiet, but y'all were quiet before, so... (laughs) Man, I'm telling you, that has been used as such a weapon in marriage. It's witchcraft. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, I'm going to keep going here. Verse 29. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Now, if it's your doctrinal theology that man is the covering over a woman, you can say it that way. But that's not really what he's trying to establish here. He's describing relationship, not authority. Um, I don't have a problem with that kind of terminology unless it's borne out in the relationship as if the female is not as valuable as the husband. The wife is not as valuable as a person as the husband. So, <coughs> again, he kind of requotes Genesis uh, 2, when he says that, you know, the, the, you leave your uh, parents and you're joined together. And watch where he goes, though. Back over to Genesis 2. He ends in verse 25. And he says, Adam and his wife, after recognizing this union that they have with each other, after recognizing this mutual respect and love relationship that they're in, it says this. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That is powerful. I mean, you know, we would all love to be able to stand physically naked in front of our spouses and not be ashamed, but this is not just talking about that. It's talking about there was nothing there. There were no walls. There were no barriers. There were no issues. There was no sense of withholding to the degree that they were completely open with one another and neither one of them felt any sense of shame any sense of smallness any sense of there's there's an awareness of me in this relationship that makes me withdraw from you that's what shame is it makes you feel little it makes you feel small there was no sense of separation in how they felt toward each other are we that way in our marriages I mean, are we so vulnerable toward one another? Are we so open with one another that if we are completely naked in our emotions toward one another, does the other person feel small? How do you react when your spouse is completely blatantly honest? Do they feel shamed? Do they feel empowered? Are they reminded of their union? Maybe you're not ever really blatantly, completely honest with your spouse. Maybe for you it's, well, you know, I've got to play my cards just right because I know this one, and if I don't do it this way, then... No shame. There was no shame. Nothing in between them that one would be afraid to be open to the other. So you introduce the knowledge of good and evil. You introduce the capacity to judge, essentially, is the knowledge of good and evil. You know, we become like God in the sense that it's not, we've moved now from just enjoying creation and living the way God intended to, I'm not sure about that. I'm going to question God because this voice over here is making me question, even though there's no validity to this voice. And so we start choosing right and wrong. And the, the response to the capacity to judge good from evil, to judge one another, was, now, they're naked, and they're, here's their first response when they gain the capacity to just go from obs- observing to judging is, now, I know you're the only person on the planet, but I don't think I trust you. We need to put something between us here. And so they put fig leaves on. I mean, the very first response to gaining the knowledge of good and and evil, the the capacity to judge was, let me put up a barrier here. I don't trust you. I have no reason to not trust you. But because I don't feel safe, because I am now self-aware in this relationship, I've got to put some barriers up. And so really it's about us protecting ourselves because we don't trust And it creates pain, it creates division, it creates distrust toward the other person. You know, the moment you start thinking, you introduce that question of, well, did I do something wrong? I mean, honestly, I've I've done a lot of marriage counseling and so many times, one or the other, and it's not always one gender or the other, one or the other says, well, I just don't know what they're thinking. I don't know if I did something wrong. I feel like I did something wrong all the time. I always feel like I'm doing something wrong. Don't raise your hand, but do you ever feel that way? If your spouse is saying that, it's time to use your mouth. It's time to be naked before them and not introduce that shame. And it's very simple. It's very simple because it's understood in what Paul talks about. For the husband, love your wives. For the wife, respect the husband. Honor. But it it takes communication as well. So if you have issues you're struggling through, you're dealing with, and again, this can be applied with all relationships, but today it's on marriage, the cycle has to end somewhere. And for you single folks, remember this. The cycle has to end somewhere. The number one responsibility of a husband within a marriage is love as Christ loved the church, which means love unconditionally. Husbands, your number one responsibility is bring unconditional love into the house. No matter what. You're the peacemaker. You're the one to reset the whole environment back on love. And if you're not doing that, then it's creating a cycle where you're not going to get the respect that God says will happen, and then you end up withholding. The way that a husband can end a cycle of destruction and continued hurt and pain is love. The way that a wife can end the cycle is respect. You know, love to the degree where you, you take the fig leaves off You're no longer interested in, I've just got to protect myself. You're no longer interested in, I've got to be the one right in this situation. After all, I've got this capacity to judge good from evil now. And look, I'm judging it this way and I'm right. Let it go so that the only thing that's on the table is love. And you've taken off the past. You've taken off the guilt. You've taken off the manipulation You've taken off the withholding of intimacy. You've taken off the lack of communication. You've taken off the attitude. We're good at that one, aren't we? The attitude. And all that's left is left. The only thing that, if you want to end the cycle, and you know what I'm talking about. It manifests in all different kinds of ways. There's all kind of little things that we could get into, but <clears throat> you've got an issue that you're dealing with, when that spouse comes to you, if the only thing that they can pick up and use is love, it's done. It doesn't take very long in an in a, in a honest place for that spouse to look at it and realize, okay, something's different here. And the fruit is there's just a change. So what are you giving your spouse? Because that's the very thing they're going to start swinging at you. Whether it be non-communication, lack of intimacy, all that stuff. That's the very thing. You think that's what you're punishing them with, but no, it comes back tenfold. It hurts you more than it hurts them long term. Yeah, you may have a good excuse. And I, you know, obviously if there's abuse, if there's manipulation, if there's, you know, if there's, uh, immorality, infidelity, whatever it is. Obviously, those are factors that have to be dealt with. I'm talking about just kind of in a general sense of dealing with issues and, and allowing God to be glorified in our marriage. But what, what are you giving this other person? When they come to you, what do they get back? Because <clears throat> that's what's going to be used against you. I want love used against me. You know what I mean? I I, I just want... Love back. And and when you make this a lifestyle, it's just so much easier to just move past things. You know? I mean, I can't remember how she said it, but I remember this one time. It was a marriage counseling situation, and it was, you know, we brought up the don't let the sun go down on your anger. And it kind of came out that they've been angry for three years. It's like, that's a lot of suns. That's a lot of sunsets. That's a lot of anger built up. How do you get rid of that? Someone has to choose to end the cycle no matter what. You have to be all in or nothing. You can't hold any cards back. You can't be holding any chips back when you choose to really allow God to be glorified through your marriage and live in the way that God describes, prescribes marriage to be. But I'm just convinced, if we truly understand the gospel, if we truly understand the exchange that happens in the cross, this recreated new nature that we have, the fact of how we've been joined to God through Christ, it puts us in a place to better express that kind of love toward our spouses. So it's like what the crane said, you know, you start with putting Christ in the center, in the center of you. Do you know who you are in Christ? You know, that's one of the reasons why I don't take a lot of time in here to talk about social issues or relational issues. Because honestly, what I see is that stuff ends up working itself out as you know who you are in Christ. It's interesting how it does. Now we can learn tips and tricks. You can read five love languages, you know, you can make your lists, you can, I mean, there's lots, somebody mentioned a couple of good resources, marriage resources, those things are good. Use what you can, use a tool that works for you, but there's no substitute for understanding who you are in Christ. When you do, you are best equipped to be what that spouse needs you to be. Not from a codependent perspective where it's up to you to make them happy, but because you are who you are. And then it fuels them to be who they are in Christ. And then you have a powerful, powerful union. You have a cord that can't be severed. I I dare say it this way. Most of the situations that I come across in dealing with people in marriage counseling, it's because one or both of those people don't know who they are in Christ. It's just been my experience. There's a codependency that gets set up where I need something from this person that completes me. You know, you ever seen Jerry Maguire? Mm. You complete me. Can you say codependent? <laughs> oh, it's, it's gross. What love has been made into So I've got a little exercise for you married folks. And you may have done this before. But, you know, it's Valentine's and we're just kind of being intentional about walking this stuff out. Ultimately, what we're called to do as believers is trust God and love one another. And what does that look like in every facet of life? In your marriage, it looks like So so Jesus says that our love for one another will be a testimony to the world that we're followers of Jesus. And then he says our oneness is for the purpose of the world believing. Now I just love those two ideas. I will hammer those ideas in your mind from now on because that's our job. Go into the world, make disciples, trust God, love one another to the degree that it creates a unity that is a testimony to the world that causes them to desire God because they see the love that we have for one another as believers and in our marriage and in our relationships and how we treat our kids and how we treat people. It's all across the board. It's the same. We just happen to be talking about marriage right now. That's what I want a marriage that lost people can look at and say, man, I don't know what's going on with y'all, but I want your God because of what your marriage looks like. It doesn't mean you're perfect in everything. It just means how you treat each other, how you, this mutual love and respect. Submit one to another. Not, hey, you need to re- if you would recognize you're under me, we'd be good. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. So here's the exercise. You may or may not have done this. <clears throat> but So you and Angie will write your own top five lists. You write the top 5 things that cause you to feel loved that she can do and vice versa and you swap those lists. You, have you ever done that? Yeah, 5 love languages is good, but I would encourage you if you're married, do this. Write the top 5 things that your spouse can do or does that makes you feel loved and give it to that spouse. And then then you know what you do with it? You do those things. <laughs> You actually put those things into practice. Now, I have there are some behavior pattern mixes, like, like uh, Caitlin alluded to it. There are some behavior patterns that perceive those lists as uh, obligations or, or starts to be a little bit manipulative. And it kind of puts them in a position where it's like, okay, that's on my list. I see you doing that. What's, what do you want? I know what you, I really, I know what you really want. You know, don't use these lists as judgment tools because it can happen. And you you have to make the commitment up front that if you recognize your spouse starts doing these things on this list that you're not going to judge them, you gave them the list. Remember. (laughs) So if it creates a problem, don't do the list. Find something else that works for you. But most people, it's good. You just take those lists and you swap them. And you commit to them. Commit them to memory and do those things. And usually, it's so easy that you don't even... It's like, really? This? It's the stuff that we take for granted, but it's the little stuff that adds up. (coughs) It's the flowers. It's the taking care of the cars. It's the holding of the hand. It's planning a meal. It's asking questions. It's so basic and easy. We're not that complicated of creatures, but sometimes we don't know. And so you just, you swap these lists. Now, if you do it and it gets working well for you, by the way, if you ever want marriage counseling, this is like one of the first things that I do. And if, and never fails, people that don't start putting this into practice, they just quit coming to marriage counseling and they end up divorced or whatever. But the other thing that you do, and this one's tricky, and you you have to have this <coughs> excuse me this respect thing in place. But after a couple of weeks or a month, you make another list. Each of you make a list of the top five things that your spouse is currently doing that cause you to not feel loved, and then you swap them. If you ever run across anybody that's in marriage counseling, you can do those two things space them out about a month, and you'll see how serious they are. You know, you can sit down with people and they'll say, okay, what do you want for this marriage to work? Very simple. They just say a couple of things. What do you want? Just usually a couple of things. But what gets in the way is the attitude. What gets in the way is the judgment of I'm right, you're wrong. What gets in the way is, but this hurts, and you never did anything about that. You know, and there may need to be some forgiveness. But are we going to express love first? So husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, your absolute number one responsibility is to bring... Are y'all married? I don't know if you're... Okay, I'm going to point at you then. (laughs) Bring unconditional love into the house. Do y'all have kids yet? Especially when you have kids. Man, I'm telling you. If, if you make it a practice now of bringing love into the house, no matter what, the respect comes. And it sets the environment for children to grow up in such an environment where they're, you know, it, it, it just changes things. It's, it teaches them to be the peacemakers. It teaches them to, like Caitlin stands up here. I'm at, you know, in a few years, I would love to hear Sydney's, my daughter's testimony of whatever she's experienced with us as parents. That'll be fun. I hope. (laughs) But love, you know, I mean, gosh, I, I think every message that I preach comes back to this, just love. It's the way to win the world. It's the way to win your spouse's heart back. It's the way to win your children over. It's the way to win the world love. Jesus didn't say beg and plead and pray for a revival. He didn't say ask God to send a wave of repentance across the nation. He said, love, and the world will believe. Are you all in for that? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this gift called marriage that you've given us. We let go of any baggage that may be hanging on to us because of the past. But those of us that are in marriage right now, Father, we commit to walking in love toward our spouse. We commit to removing those fig leaves emotionally and being open before each other. Father, we commit to not holding things back, to not dangling carrots and letting go of manipulation, to just be honest and just be open and to bring love and respect mutually submitted to one another into our marriages. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Lord, we just want to take this way of living into the world. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we're here, so that the world would hear the gospel, that our community would change the way that they see you. They would see you as good. They would see you as loving and kind and merciful that they would be inspired to trust you and access this grace that you have to empower us. Father, we're here. We're open. It's all we want to do, whether it's 20 people or 2,000 people, Lord. We are committed to preaching your gospel, encouraging one another and taking out your gospel. Thank you, Lord, that we are emboldened and encouraged to open our mouths and take... Advantage of the opportunities that we have to communicate your kingdom. We're willing. Just tell him, I'm willing. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to become the evangelism monster. You just have to be willing. Father, I'm willing. I'm willing to preach your gospel. I'm willing to love people. Amen.